evening, everyone. Welcome to Harvest Christian Fellowship Wednesday Night Deep Dive. Uh, we appreciate everybody in the sanctuary. Appreciate everybody online. We are so glad that you are here. So, um, tonight we are beginning a brand new series entitled Training the Inner Man. And um, over the last several months, Pastor Brent and I have been teaching a series about our position of righteousness in Christ through salvation. And um, uh, I forgot to pray, and it's habit, and let's pray. Father God, thank you, Lord, for everyone here. Thank you for everybody online. And uh, we just appreciate you, Lord. We love you. We couldn't do a thing without you, Lord. Father, help me to teach tonight. Help us to understand what the Spirit is saying to the church. Lord God, give us grace, give us mercy, and give us revelation. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen, amen, amen and amen. So, as I was saying, over the last several months, we've been teaching a series about our position of righteousness in Christ through salvation. And we've been covering what the Word says about those that are in Christ. And, um, and uh, Pastor Brent and I, we were talking about this. Have, have you ever, uh, especially in a series like we just finished up, have you ever uh, heard some of this stuff and you can hear the bones of your traditions just cracking and breaking I mean, it, it just makes you want to scream sometimes. And Pastor Brent and I, we were talking, and there's, trust me, there's times that we're in the Word, and we're saying, but here's what the Word says, and we look so smooth doing that, but inside we're going, yeah. <laughs> you know, because we're not teaching what tradition has taught us all the time. So, um, uh, here is... Uh, Here's the truth. The pure truth of the Word will always challenge our religious traditions. Um, there, there's an old story that Kenneth Copeland told. He said this old uh, country preacher, he was just starting out, and he was going to any church he could get to. And um, they had a prayer meeting before he started, and the pastor said, I have a word of prophecy. And um, so he was giving a prophetic word to somebody in his church going through something, and he said, Thus saith the Lord, I know you're scared. I'm scared too. Now, there's a church that was being taught that the Lord was scared too. You, you, you see what I'm saying? And we've got to go to the Word for the undeniable truth. So the pure truth of the Word will always challenge our religious traditions. Jesus said this in Mark 7, and I'll, I'll quote the NASB. He said, you make the Word of God of no effect through your tradition which you have handed down. So there's times we're handing down traditional teachings that isn't necessarily lining up with the Word of God. And that can create a big problem. Um, so um, here, here's the grand problem with tradition versus the truth. Tradition will always feel comfortable for a natural-minded saint, even when it would release them from a guilt-ridden religion. Um, um, I uh, had a habit in, in uh, this one church for a season. I, I just called everybody in the church a saint. And it amazed me how many Christians in that church would, oh, don't call me that. Yeah. You know, what, why wouldn't you want me to call you that? Oh, I'm not a saint. Then you're not saved. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm saved. But you're not a saint. Well, no, I'm not a saint. Well, then you're not saved. Are, are you hearing what I'm saying? Because the Bible says, if you're saved, you are a saint. Okay? Now, watch, watch. Here, I can hear the 
screams, okay? So, a lot of times, I've, I've discussed this with, with so many people in the church here lately, um, a lot of times in our series on salvation, we've heard the question, well, are, are you saying that, that we can just live any way we want to? And we've answered every time, no, you cannot live any way that, that we want to. We're not saying that at all. So here would be the next thing we would teach in this series then. How then should we live after we have been given the gift of salvation? Okay? Um, if, if we're not saying that salvation in Christ allows you to live any way you want, and Paul answered that by saying what? God forbid. No, we're not saying that at all. So here's, here's the grand question. What should we do? How, how should we live after we are given the gift of righteousness in Christ? And, and the answer is uh, you begin to find that answer in Romans chapter 8, and this is the direction we're going uh, for tonight. And verse number, did I tell you to go to Romans 8? I never told you that, did I? Well, you should have been prayed up. You would have known. See there, Joe's got the paper. He knows. He's got the cheat sheet. So, uh, Romans 8, verse number 19. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. There's where we begin to find our answer of how should I live after I'm saved. Philip's translation says this, the whole creation is on tiptoe to see the wonderful sight of the sons of God coming into their own. Now watch, why is all creation standing on tiptoe watching and waiting with anxious expectation for the revealing of the sons and the daughters of God? Look at verse 20. See, for creation was subjected to futility or chaos, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, watch, that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now watch. While the church sits and debates whether Jesus freed us from sin and death, all creation continues to wait so it can step into the freedom that we have been given. You see? Um, let's say that I'm responsible for Kevin, okay? That is a heavy burden, Renee. So, <laughs> even Kevin feels sorry for me right now. <laughs> okay, I'm responsible for Kevin. Now, it's a done deal. He knows that, and I know that. So my responsibility is to him. And he knows that my responsibility is to him. So he wants me to notice him, right? The reason being, I'm responsible for him, you see? So uh, Kevin needs financial miracles, okay? And I picked Kevin because you've never, ever been in that situation in your life, have you? <laughs> so, I win the big lottery next week. Kevin is now on tiptoe with anxious expectation for a revealing of Ted the Billionaire. Because I'm responsible for him. So here's the problem. I just, I don't believe it. Now Kevin's still on tiptoe. He's waiting for a revelation, for a revealing, for an administrating of what I have. I could just never be a billionaire. 
So, Idra works for the uh, for the the lottery commission. Thank you. See, I don't even know the word in the, about this. Okay, yeah, I don't know. So she works for the lottery commission, and she comes to me and she says, "Look, I'm an official with the lottery administration, and I am I give I'm giving you the certificate." A verification. It's written down that you are a billionaire. Now, it looks good, but no. And she calls me. No, don't call me a billionaire. No, I could never. The whole time, Kevin is standing on tiptoe, waiting for a revealing and administering of Ted the Billionaire. That's the shape that the world is in while we refuse to believe who we are in Christ. You see? You hang in there, Kevin. Okay. (laughs) So the grand question since I've been born again and I've been transferred to the kingdom of heaven, how should I live my life? Wouldn't it be silly that we would stand around and debate whether we could continue to live in sin when we've been given this? Hmm? My life should not be about, am I going to get kicked out? My life should not be about, is God pleased with me? It should be about releasing who you are now in Christ to the world. Here's, here's what the enemy has been doing to the church for generation after generation until it's become tradition. We're, we're so humble, we're no good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I had a guy ask me one time, he said, what do you do for a living? I said, no, I'm an ambassador for Christ. And he's like, Yeah. Satan has stopped us in our tracks by creating doubt in our minds of who we already are in Christ. In fact, watch, Satan has trained the church so well that a lot of the church fights back when you try to teach them about their freedom in Christ. They'll actually get mad and walk out. They'll get mad. They'll fight back. So watch. If we've educated you in where you stand with the Father through Jesus, the only remaining question is, where do we go from here? Okay? If we have seen this, if we have seen in the Word time and time again through this series that you are a saint, you are righteous, you were righteous yesterday, you were righteous today, you'll be righteous tomorrow, then where, where do we go from here? Um, what, not... Not am I still saved tomorrow, but where do I go in my salvation? Now watch, this is, this is an important truth. I want you to hear this, okay? Here's the condition the enemy has trained the church to operate in. Listen to this. I'm going to read it verbatim. The enemy has trained the church to be comfortable with doing nothing while believing that questioning our relationship with God is faithful religion. Can I say it again? Here's what Satan has convinced the church. We've become comfortable with doing nothing while believing that questioning our relationship with God is faithful religion. Dumb, lost, human-minded bunk. Now watch. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cover the entire Bible front to back in one statement. God's desire for you is to be completely righteous through salvation in Jesus and that you reveal yourself to all creation. That's it. From front to back. Back to front. 
That's the statement of the Bible. That God wants you to be completely and totally righteous in Jesus. And then take that righteousness and reveal yourself to all creation. Now hold Romans. And I want you to turn to the right. And go to Philippians. Chapter number 3. Hold Romans. And go to the right and find Philippians chapter number 3. So we grow up living in the flesh. If we can see it, we can taste it, we can touch it, we can smell it, we can hear it. You know, then, then it's a reality. So we grow up being led by our five physical senses and then we change kingdoms. Unfortunately, for a lot of the church, even though we've changed kingdoms, we continue to operate the way we operated in the old kingdom that we were first born into, okay? Um, changing kingdoms means learning to operate in a different reality, okay? Um, how is the only way that we can get into this world system? How's the only way we can do that? Think about it. Hmm? Yeah, you got to be born. There isn't any other way. So, uh, yeah, we're born into this life, into this fallen kingdom. So, How's the only way we can get out, Emily? Huh? No? You have to die. Yeah, you got to die. The only, the only way you can get in is to be born into it. The only way you're going to get out is to die out of it. Okay? So there's a second kingdom. How is the only way you're going to get into that kingdom? To be born again. Okay, now watch. When, when I accepted Jesus, I went, uh, I was in an uh, old Methodist church under a Nazarene preacher, and they, um, they did an altar call. In fact, I'd never been to church in my life. I was in my 20s, never been to church in my life, ever, never. I drove by them. <laughs> never was in one. Never was in one. And um, I think that helped me in a way because I didn't have as many traditions on me, you know. But anyway, I, I went to, I heard this, I'll tell this short, I, I heard this radio preacher and uh, told my wife I wanted to go to church and we went to church that Sunday and um, I went home and kept listening to this radio preacher and I heard somebody talk about altar calls and getting saved. So I thought you had to have an altar call to get saved. I thought that was the process, you know. So I called that pastor on Saturday night, the next Saturday night, and I said, you guys have altar calls? He said, yeah, he kind of giggled. And I said, hey, will you have one tomorrow? I want to get saved. He said, you want an altar call, my friend? I'm going to give you an altar call. So he did the whole service, and he stopped, and he said, uh, Ted wants to have an altar call because he's going to come forward. So <laughs> he, uh, he said, anybody who wants to give her life to Christ, you just come right on. I, I went up there. And within microseconds, microseconds, I knelt at an altar and I died. Jesus took my life. And in that microsecond, I was born again into a kingdom separate from the kingdom I had just died out of. You got this? Okay. So, now I had to start a lifelong process of learning how this new world that I had been born into 
operated. You see? Um, look at Philippians 3, verse 20. You guys have heard me read this about a billion times. For our citizenship is in heaven. I died, and in a microsecond of time, I was rebirthed. I was transferred. I became a citizen of heaven. Now, here's a question. What about all the bad things I do in life? What about the days I act like Bob? Yeah. What about the days where I'm not acting righteous? Okay? Verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power he has to subject all things to himself. Now watch. How many will agree with me when you got born again, you began to agree with the word of God? How many would agree with me that when you got born again, your flesh didn't? Yeah, yeah. Our flesh does not get born again. It doesn't. But the Bible says the reward of our faith is a brand new body that will be like His. You see? Um there, the, the denomination that I started out in, and I, I went to their colleges and seminaries and everything like that, so I was really goofy by the time I finished that. But I, I love them. I, I still love them. But they, they taught a doctrine um, called entire sanctification. Anybody ever hear of that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, Jeff, you've heard of that. Yeah, you've been around those guys. Yeah. Um, and here's what they teach. They, they said entire sanctification is the second work of grace. So you get saved first. You get filled with the Holy Ghost, which is sanctification. Second, but you're only really sanctified if you no longer have the ability to sin. Talk about the guilt. Am I wrong? Oh, talk about the bondage. So I became a pastor in that denomination. The only thing we did was lie to one another. You know, are you sanctified? Yep, I am. And I'm thinking, don't read my mind. Don't read my mind. You know, yeah. And I never realized until I got into the word deep that my flesh didn't get born again. It was never intended to get born again. And I am eagerly waiting for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of my humble state to be conformed with the body of His glory. Can you imagine having a body that lines up with your spirit? Oh my goodness, my goodness, my goodness. Go, go back to Romans 8. Romans 8. Since I was teaching tonight, you bring a paper Bible. Somebody say amen. Amen. Look at Romans 8, verse 23. Not only this. Now, remember he just said, the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from the slavery of corruption. Now watch. This flesh is part of fallen creation. So it's, 
it's on tiptoe and it's waiting, it's longing. Now watch this, verse 23. Not only this, but we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Give yourself a break. Huh? My goodness, we're running around questioning. Oh, am I really saved? If I was really saved, I wouldn't act like this. Hmm? That is the groaning of all creation. All creation, including our flesh. Waiting eagerly, eagerly, on tiptoe for the return of Jesus and the reward of my faith that he will give me a body that will be like his. Now, um, uh, hold that area of your Bible and go over to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. This passage, you've heard me talk a lot about it too. Um, but this passage is something I read one day, and it, it woke me up. I mean, it just blasted. Hi, Pastor D. It just blasted in my spirit. Um, and, and it's what literally changed my mind on, on, um, uh, on all, of, all of these things. It, it freed me. Now, now watch this. Um, we're going to rehearse a basic truth about our salvation. Okay? Watch. Look at Isaiah 9, verse number 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. Who is that child? We know it is because we get Christmas cards. And little baby Jesus is in the manger, and it's all cute and not smelly, okay? Let's take Jesus out of Christmas for a second, okay? Let's just read this as it says. Here's the prophecy. There would be a child that would be born, a son that would be given, watch, and the government will rest on his shoulders. That word government means a kingdom and a system or an economy. When I say economy, I'm not talking about money. Uh, we generally say an economical system. Well, that means a system of money. We have, um, we have a justice economy in our country. A governmental economy. It's, it's a system. It's a way of doing things. Now watch this. It says, a child's going to be born to us. A son is going to be given to us. And a government, a system, an economy, a kingdom will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and, watch, everybody say the word and. <clears throat> On the throne of David, Jesus was sent to the Jew first and over his kingdom and the rest of the world. To establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore, watch. And if you don't mess up, you can be part of it. No? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Hmm? What if, what if I, what if I won that billion dollars? And I finally got convinced. Idra came with a second piece of paper and said, you are a billionaire. Okay? 
Now, what's, what's my responsibility? To take care of who? Kevin. Okay. Now, Kevin's been standing on tiptoe, waiting for a manifestation. Okay. I mean, he has been long. He's in agony. Okay. Why don't that stupid dope know who he is? You know? <laughs> so, I come up to Kevin and I say, my man, you are now a millionaire. And Kevin says, no, I could never be a millionaire. Come on. How often do we think like this? How often? You know? So I take him, I take him a, a book, the same book that Idra gave me as a representative of the Lottery Commission, and I show it to him, and he said, I know what it says, but I could never believe that. No, not about me. And yet tomorrow, he's going to stand and say, I'm in agony. I wish Ted would do something for me. And I show up and say, here's the words. I could never believe that. Come on. All right. Go, Go back to the right. Find Colossians. Chapter 1, you know, if we would know the Word, like we know um, sports scores, favorite channels, come on, Hmm? now watch. Until we are salvation-minded, conditioned, we're never going to operate in kingdom authority. Look, look, look. Has there been anything that we've taught that has been in error according to this word? I guarantee you, no. But until we believe it, it's it's mute. It doesn't really matter. Okay? Now watch. How in the world could, could I, in a moment of time, never, never been to church. In my 20s, I was a double heathen. Had to be a double heathen. There had to be, yeah. A double, double heathen. And how could I, in the fraction of time, a minute piece of a second, die to this world and be born again into a new kingdom? Watch. And be righteous. How could that happen? Watch. Colossians 1, 13, a favorite. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Now watch, watch. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. But it's mute if we don't believe that. It's of none effect. If we do not believe that. Um, Go left and find Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. Now, here's what the Bible says about you. And we will either believe the word of God or we will not. Okay? In Christ, you already are a saint. In Christ, you already are a saint. In Christ, you already are completely righteous. 
in Christ, God will never, ever, ever look at you in scorn. In Christ, you are already seated with him in heavenly places. And in Christ, tomorrow, you will still be righteous. You will still be righteous. Now the question, why did Jesus do that? Why did he gift this to us? Look at Ephesians 2, verse number 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages, now here's the reason why. So that in ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast." But I have such a hard time with that. So what you're saying is fooey on the gift. I want to boast. Huh? I want to look at Sue and say, I'll tell you one thing. If she thinks she's saved. Huh? Now I'm boasting. It's no longer a gift. Because I'm better than she is. Huh? And that husband of hers, John, he's a doozy, isn't he? I like you, John. <laughs> now I'm boasting. Hmm? Have you ever looked, I have, have you ever looked at somebody and say, well, they call themselves Christian? Have you ever, come on, look at me with that tone of voice. Huh? Sure, we've done that. You know what we're doing? We're boasting. We are forgetting the grace of God. And we're forgetting how goofy we are sometimes. Hmm? It's a gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. Why? 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 What does this mean for us? Watch, watch. Oh, this is good. Watch this. Ephesians 1. 22. He put all things in subjection under his feet, being Jesus. He put all things in subjection under his feet. Now, okay, we're going to play the game. Anybody know what the game is? We're going to pretend like the Bible is true. Okay? That's the game we're going to play. Everybody in? We're just going to sit here and we're going to pretend like the Bible is true, okay? Verse 22. And he put all things in subjection under the feet of Jesus and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Mm. He's the head and we're the body. Now, remember, we agreed we're going to pretend like the Bible's true. Okay? Now, watch this. Jesus never gave us the gift of salvation so we could attempt to be continually saved by our own efforts. Can't happen. He gave us the gift of salvation so he could dwell in us to do the work of the kingdom. Now, watch. I'm going to show you this. I'm going to show you this. Hold your place right there because we're going to go back. And... I'm on a downhill landing spiral now. I want you to hold your place there. We're going to go back. And I want you to find Isaiah 49. Isaiah 49. 
You're going to like this. Let me show you why the enemy has worked so hard to convince the church that they're really not saved. Now watch this. Watch. You can say, well, uh, I'm not saying I'm not saved. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that I'm not a saint. Hmm? Well, I'm not saying I'm, um, I'm not a human being. I just am an animal. You can't, you can't have that both ways. Either, I heard this old preacher say one time, Bob and I was talking about today, and that old preacher says, either you is or you ain't. Either you're saved or you're not. Because the Bible defines salvation, not us. Not our traditions. So either we're saved or we need to meet Jesus. Hmm? Either it's a gift or he went to the cross for nothing. Hmm? Are you with me? Okay. Okay. Here's why the enemy has worked so hard to convince the church that you're really not saved. Here's the truth. Either we're fully saved or we're not saved at all. Either we're complete in Him or we're not because Jesus did not do a partial salvation. Mm, Boy, I get riled up. People act like Jesus just did part of it. Huh? Watch. Here's why it's so important that you believe in the total salvation of Jesus. Isaiah 49. Watch this. Watch, watch, watch. A prophecy. But I said, Jesus, this is Jesus speaking. Uh, Isaiah 49.4. But I said, I have toiled in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely the justice due me is with the Lord and my reward is with my God. Now, says the Lord, watch, who formed me from the womb to be his servant. Listen to this, listen to this. To bring Jacob back to him so that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the sight of the Lord and my God is my strength. Here's what God said to Jesus' moaning on the cross. Verse 6. It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations or the Gentiles so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. God said to Jesus in his crying out on the cross, there's more. It's too small a thing to die for the Israelites. You're also going to die for Kevin and Idra and Bob and Jeff. You see? Now watch. Go. uh, hmm. I want you to go back up to Ephesians chapter 3. We're on downhill. We're almost done here. Ephesians 3. Isaiah was prophesying about what Paul called the great mystery of Christ. Um, Look at Ephesians. Have you got Ephesians 3? Okay, watch this. Um, Verse 1. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if you indeed heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ was spoken of over in Isaiah 49, where it wasn't just the Jews, it would be the Gentiles too. Okay? Now, uh, anybody know what a parenthetical statement is? parenthetical statement. 
Okay, here's a parenthetical statement, okay? And it, it makes this clear. Um, uh, I was supposed to pick Kevin up at 5, but I had a flat tire, so I got there at 6. The parenthetical statement is, but I had a flat tire. If you take that out, you get what I'm saying. I was supposed to pick you up at 5, but I got there at 6. A parenthetical statement just kind of clarifies, but you can take it out and get to the point, okay? So, Paul makes in verse 5 a parenthetical statement. He said, now watch, he said, you understand my insight to the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles, prophets, and the Spirit. Parenthetical statement. To be specific, now, let's take that parenthetical statement out and see what he's talking about. He said, verse 4, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Verse 6, to be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through faith in the gospel. Okay? So what he's saying is this is a fulfillment of Isaiah 49. Now watch, verse 7, hang with me, we're almost done. Of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. And to bring to light, now watch, watch. What is the administration of the mystery? What is the revealing of the ministry? What, what, what that pertains to, okay? Which for ages have been hidden in God who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in heavenly places. That is where our partial work is to be. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen. In whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Hmm. Now we know why Paul said in verse 14, For this reason, I bow my knee to the Father, that you might understand the length and the breadth and the depth and the height of the love of God and the power that is available for you. In this series, this is, this is a series opener. So we hit a lot of stuff here. Um, if Jesus so completely saved us, if he so completely paid for the sins of mankind, that I was righteous Yesterday, I was righteous today, and I am assured I will be righteous tomorrow. And what am I to do with this? Does that mean I can live any way I want to? God forbid. Then how should I live? Powerful. Powerful. He said part of our work is tearing down strongholds in heavenly places where we're seated together with Christ. All of creation is waiting on tiptoe for a manifestation of Idra. And we're sitting around going, yeah, I wonder if God likes me. Boy, when Satan does a work, he did her good, didn't he? Man, oh man, oh man. So in this series, 
we are going to be exploring training up the inner man in this righteousness that we have and manifesting that reality into this life. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Father God, thank you, Lord, for this night. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that we can learn. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that we can be taught. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that we can be more powerful all the time. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you did for us. Thank you for where you have placed us in the kingdom. Thank you, Lord God, that one day, as a reward of our faith, you are going to transform this flesh of fallen nature into a body just like yours. And what a reward that's going to be. But until then, we will carry on. We will learn. We will understand what the Word says about who we are. And we will do the work of the ministry in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And amen and amen. Praise the Lord.